Hello and welcome back to our 2017 educational webinar series. I am Dr. Jill Brooks, Senior Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, a hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. This month, we have five complimentary webinars that take a look at issues related to access in healthcare. We are so pleased to have Yvette Durazo of Unitive Consulting back with us today, discussing the power of empathy for conflict prevention. Her previous webinar, Bulletproof Technique to Prevent Hostility at Your Workplace, continues to be one of our most watched presentations. If you haven't had the opportunity to watch this, this webinar is available on our YouTube channel. Yvette is a conflict resolution expert and is the founder of Unitive Consulting and an adjunct professor of National University and the School General Council of the Judiciary in the state of Mexico, where she teaches online and classroom courses in communication and conflict management, alternative dispute resolution, ethics, neutrality, conciliation, and mediation. She has worked alongside boards of directors, corporate representatives, political representatives, students, and educators. She's a tri-chair for the spirituality sector for the Association of Conflict Resolution. Her upbringing on the United States and Mexico border has given her a great cultural awareness that serves her when working with businesses that have a diverse representation. She draws from her life and work experiences empathy, intuition, and wisdom to work with her clients. Yvette links business outcomes to leadership development, resulting in meaningful and effective changes for both clients and their organizations. A copy of her handout is available for download in the handout section of the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We'll address these questions at the end of the presentation. PACOM CEU certificates will be emailed to you from PACOM following the broadcast. There is no need to request your certificate. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. Yvette? So good afternoon, and I, for me it's morning. I'm in San Diego, California, and I'm going to be presenting in the power of empathy for conflict prevention in healthcare. What are you going to gain out of this workshop? You're going to learn about the dynamics of empathy and conflict prevention, the power of non-violent non communication, that it's part of empathy, dealing with high conflict personalities, and we're going to have a space where you can either write your question down or, or ask me questions at the end of the presentation. First of all, let's talk about empathy and create clarity about what really empathy is about. A lot of individuals do not understand or cannot distinguish what is it empathy. Sometimes they confuse it with sympathy and compassion. Empathy is an act of understanding, being aware of the other individual's feelings, emotions that happen either in the past or present. It is the ability to have the sensitivity to experience those emotions in a capacity where you can be in a state where you can be of a person to provide either wisdom, a teaching, or guidance. 
versus sympathy. It is an action where you go into the full feelings of the individual and lose yourself emotionally with the other individual which blocks the ability in where you can be of service and value to the other person for guidance and wisdom. It is about sympathy. It's more about feeling bad for the other person. And empathy and sympathy has two distinct emotional states. That one, which is empathy, it's more empowering to an individual versus sympathy. It's, it's less empowering because, yes, you're there emotionally with the person, but then you cannot distinguish between emotions to be in a state where you can support and help the individual to either come out of the situation or provide wisdom. So that is the essence of what empathy is about, and that is why it's important to distinguish both, because sometimes people have difficulty understanding sympathy and empathy. Empathy, it's more uh, in a state where you put yourself into somebody else's shoes. Nevertheless, cognitively speaking, you can see the emotion, you can feel it, but at the same time, you have the ability to function within yourself in order to once again, provide that guidance, that support to the other person in such a way that you can be of service. Sometimes sympathy can be considered as being pity for the other person, and people feel the emotions of either empathy and sympathy, and that's the big difference between those, and it's important to distinguish. Empathy, it's, it's called in the emotional resonance because you are resonating with their emotions in such a way that the other individual feels it but at the same time with respect to separating yourself from the other individual. And if you have any questions you can always ask questions at the end. Why practicing empathy in health in the hair health field? Well, first of all, your patients are seeking that empathy out of anybody that works in the healthcare field. They're expecting that, that you're going to provide that. Nevertheless, many of the times it doesn't happen because there's not a lot of training into these type of skill sets, if you may, in the healthcare industry. And, and we need more and more trainings on this. What are the benefits of providing empathy in the healthcare environment? Well, empathy, you know, facilitates trust, disclosure, and can be very therapeutic, not only for the person that you're giving empathy, but also towards yourself. So it is a win-win type of situation. Healthcare providers' emotional attunement greatly serves, in, like I was mentioning before, in a cognitive level, in a cognitive goal of understanding patients' emotions. And that helps so that you can be in a state where you can be of value and of service to your patients. 
empathy makes being a healthcare provider more, you know, your, your job more meaningful and more satisfying. And like I was mentioning, it's a, it's a two-sided point. It, it is good for the patients and it's also good for yourself. It is also good for your, for your own being. Studies have linked empathy to great patient satisfaction, better outcomes, decreased healthcare providers' burnout, that helps you, and also reduces risk of malpractice, lawsuits, and errors. And you can look at the reference right on the bottom of your uh, presentation. The beginning of 2015, the Medical College of Admission tests are starting to add questions involving human behavior and psychology and recognizing that that is important for doctors to be aware of. And it requires not only the science of their work, but also recognizing the understanding of people, which is a good thing because, you know, it's in one way or another, they're they're changing things in the medical industry. And one of the things that I also should mention is that empathy is, if we're talking about neuroscience, it is a, it is a feeling or it's an act that comes from that neural neuron, meaning that if we see empathy, it is more likely that we're going to provide or give empathy to other people. It is one of those things that by watching and observing, you can sense the feeling, and somehow within your being, you're more apt to give empathy to other people because you're observing that on other people. An example could be if you have ever, you know, if you go back in your memory and, and, and think about ever experiencing an act of empathy and how did, did it make you feel? How did it make your day? And possibly going to the next step of paying it forward. I don't know if any of you have had in the past somebody purchasing a coffee right in front of you and it could be a stranger and somehow that act of empathy or act of kindness somehow was uh, embedded in your being and you want to pay it forward. The same thing happens with empathy. Dynamics of empathy in conflict prevention. Healthcare providers usually are taught a way of empathy which is called neutral empathy that it's the ability for them to be able to experience the patient and seeing the, the feelings of the patient but in a very objective way in where, where the empathy, the neutral empathy, it's not about putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. It is more about the study of the patient, the study of the inner life of the patient. Whenever you go to the doctors, you know, sometimes they want to hear your history. But if you observe, they're asking you for that information in such a way to identify with the scientific 
information to detect what is going on health-wise with you, not necessarily to um, be empathic. It's more a neutral empathy that they use. And in 2015, like I was mentioning, they're, they're starting to change that. They're starting to change the ability of doctors and healthcare providers to be more empathetic, not just utilizing the neutral empathy. Because the neutral empathy only goes so far in giving that um, satisfaction to the patient. Because the patient can, can feel that the information being given or, or being asked for, it's more for detecting a medical condition or a situation based on their health, not necessarily understanding the individual's emotions, not understanding their thoughts, their feelings, you know, their present, their past. It's not about that. Empathy, it's about non-judgmental space, to be non-judgmental with individuals, to understand where the patient comes from, to be able to step and see the world view that they have in order to be able to have that empathy. And when you do that, the other people sense it. The other individual will sense it. Your patients will, will feel it. And you will also feel at service. It goes back to that feeling of good service that you're giving. And it's about not only being attentive with your cognitive level, it's also being attentive through your body language. Even just leaning a little bit forward when you're talking to somebody helps the other individual feel that you're interested, that you're willing to step on their shoes to see what's, what's going on really with them. It's an art of knowing how to listen in such a way that you're understanding what they're, what they're coming from. It's a deeper way of listening. Sometimes we listen with the idea of responding back. Sometimes we listen being involved in our head, waiting to understand and immediately provide answers to the individual. Think about situations where you have been with a friend, a relative, or somebody that instead of listening to you, immediately are giving you information, advice, and you don't feel like they're really listening. Empathy involves your entire body. It involves your listening. It involves the way you look at people, your body language. So pay attention to that. Empathy really pays a tremendous emphasis on conflict prevention. Because if you do this, like I was mentioning in the, in the research studies, your patients, the people that you work with, the people that you deal with, will be less prone to be dissatisfied. In the contrary, they will be willing to have that open conversation with you because they're going to be more honest, they're going to be able to trust you. So with that said, you can prevent conflict and also utilize these skills in order to 
be able to resolve conflict as well. Harnessing the culture of empathy. In order for empathy to really work in an industry, in our organization, it really has to come from all the way from the top level all the way down. It really has to come from the standpoint of that organization core value system. Yes, it is true that an individual can put their part and do that, but in order to be more effective and create that type of environment, it is vital that the organization adopt this in their core values, in their mission statement, and really act upon it, really show that that is part of the values and mission, and really work with their entire staff in order to adopt that. And like I said, you know, some in many cases, you as an individual can do to your part. But like I was mentioning before, it is something that you mirror. It is something that if you see somebody doing it, it will become easier for you to do. So imagine if you were into an entire culture where this is something that it's been done, that is part of the mission, it is part of what you do. It makes things easier. So in order to harness the culture of empathy, it is important to create clarity in the definition to be, if possible, to be part of the core values, the mission statement. It is waking up every morning with setting the intention in order to create that muscle because sometimes people are not used to being empathetic because they have never paid attention or they have never known how. So now that I'm bringing this conversation to you and these workshop, wake up every morning thinking of how is it that you're going to become empathetic and, and start practicing. Otherwise, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's a muscle. It's like building a muscle. Like when you go to the gym, talk about it with other people. That way, while you're talking, you're embedding that in your value system. In act empathy. Not only do it, feel the feeling that it feels when you're being empathetic to other people. That is part of the connection of how you're going to build that muscle. Remember also to put yourself in situations where other people can be empathic to you so that you can have the ability to recharge yourself. Because when we go to a process of just giving empathy and not taking care of ourselves, we're not going to have that energy or that ability to be empathic to other people. So work upon scenarios and where you can put yourself in that space where the other people can show you empathy or can provide empathy, not sympathy. You don't want sympathy. Because sympathy is very limiting. Remember, it is very limiting because the other person comes to an, a state or a co-experience of the emotion. And in some way, it feels good, but you don't gain much about, about that. In a space of empathy, 
it's in the contrary. You gain that emotional state with the other person, but at the same time, the other person has the, the ability to provide value, support, and guidance. And listen to your heart. You know, it's important to go in inwards and be attentive to how is it that it feels inside your heart whenever you provide empathy. And how is it that the other individuals are responding to you when you give empathy? Empathy goes hand in hand with communication I was, I was mentioning in the other slide. And the work of empathy and communication that I have studied and I invite you to look, look up the information is from Marshall Rosenberg. He was not the inventor, but he brought about the nonviolent communication. And that goes hand in hand with empathy and the communication. So what does it bring about when you have an empathic communication? Well, obviously it, it, it helps and improves the quality of your relationships. You have the ability to communicate more effectively. You're not coming from a state of, of competing with other people being judgmental, being demanding, or immediately labeling things, or labeling people. Because when you create that environment, you close the communication. When you're being competing, judgmental, or labeling people, or being demanding. Your communication is not centered on being right or wrong. You know, have you experienced scenarios where you're talking to somebody and they're constantly assessing whether what you have done is either right or wrong, and then you feel judged? When you drop that idea about right and wrong, you open up the space for communication. Nonviolent communication is part of how we become em empathetic with other people. It's about learning how not only to speak, but also to listen. Components of nonviolent communication. Well, nonviolent communication has two components. Honestly expression, meaning that you are going to be expressing yourself in the most honest way and you're going to have a receiver who has that empathic receiving process where that individual is there with no judgment, it's there with no labeling, is there with no um, sympathy, pity is there just empathically and you providing honest conversation to the other person. So it goes hand in hand. When you create a space and the energy of non-violent communication, empathic communication, 
you open up the space for individuals to become honest with you. And that's what we want in the healthcare industry. We want to have that in our patients, and we want to have that of the healthcare providers. So imagine if that were to happen and have the receiver in an empathic way, you know, how, how best our communication would be. How will we be able to be better at service to those we help? Well, how to practice nonviolent communication? Well, there's four steps that I encourage you to practice in a daily basis in order for you to really embrace the concept of empathy. It's about, first of all, observing what objective. Like, remember I was mentioning before, it's not about observing with judgment. It's not about observing with being right or wrong or, or filtering the information being received by the other individual through your moral um, guidelines. It's not about interpreting. It's not about labeling. It's about objectively naming what it is. It's just that, naming what it is. Feelings, saying how you feel emotionally and through your body sensations without looking into the blame game. That's about how you step away with the feelings. It's not about blaming other people. It's about the feelings that you're having. Needs. Needs are so important. It's about having an understanding of the human needs. Many of our emotions show up because they're needs that have never been met. And a lot of conflict comes about because those needs have not been met and somehow other things bother the individual and it shows up as conflict. It shows up as a negative behavior. So it's about not only understanding yourself that there's human needs, but understanding that other people have those human needs. And we're going to talk about those needs in the next slide. It's about having the confidence to ask for requests of actions. It's about being clear. It's not about telling somebody a certain information in order to assuming that person will get it and assuming that the other person will react in a way. It's being honest and being able to ask for a request of what is it exactly that you need. And when you have these abilities to communicate these four steps, you create a more empathic communication. And this is what Marshall Rosenberg talks about of nonviolent communication. So how to practice this with other people? Like I was mentioning, internal conflict happens when the needs of the individuals are not met. And not openly acknowledging them because sometimes they don't even know. 
sometimes people have forgotten that some needs have not been met. And, and all of a sudden, situations show up that start bothering that individual. And that's how conflict starts being created in individuals internally, and then it shows externally. So if you have the ability to see that in an individual, you can prevent conflict, or you can solve conflict from that level of understanding. By understanding that there's people's needs that have not been met. And especially this shows up a lot in the healthcare industry. When we're working with patients, when they come sick to us and we don't know for what reason they got sick, or they got sick from a virus, a bacteria, or maybe they got sick because some, sometimes there's a lot of emotional situations that they're going through because they haven't met their human needs and all of a sudden people become sick. So we have to be attentive to, to that. And it's about asking just a deeper question about what is it that you need. It's not, it's not asking people what is it that you want, but what is it that you need. And when you ask that question, that simple question, you put the individual in a state of really inquiring within themselves exactly what is it that they really need. And it could be something totally different than what they're, they're arguing for or they're talking about. You would be surprised. When you have somebody interacting in a very conflictive way, and you really honestly ask the question, what is it that you need? With no judgment, with no competition, with no moral uh, lines, just asking the word, what is it that you need? People feel like you're interested on, on, on understanding that, and you have the empathy. Asking individuals, sometimes we as individuals do not know how to request things. And it's asking individuals how to go about requesting to other people what is it that, what is it based on their needs that they're requesting. So what are the basic needs of a human being? Well, I have a list here and I don't have it number because for many reasons, for you know, some people you know require the first one on the bottom, the other one on the top. But overall, these are some of the basic needs, and you can come up with other ideas of what is it that you think, you know, what can be basic needs. So you need a physical nurturance. You need spiritual communion. You need play. You need interdependency, integrity, celebration, and autonomy. Those are the most basic needs. And you can come up with other ideas of human needs that you have thought of. But think about in these, in these lists and, and keep it in your mind whenever you're dealing or talking to people that um, somehow feel that they're in conflict or or they show up in a conflicting way. Remember that there's some needs that have not been met.
diffusing anger with nonviolent communication. And there is a, a, a joke that Dr. Rosenberg talks about when he was giving seminars. And, and he always would say, do not put a bot in front of anyone that is angry. And then he goes about giving the story of a woman that was working in a, in a, um, in a detoxification shelter in the night shift. And there is a, um, an individual that comes and requests being accepted into, into a room. And this woman had already taken a seminar under nonviolent communication. And, he, and she expressed to the individual that she didn't have any rooms available for that person to stay. So that individual obviously was intoxicated with, with substance and became very argumentative and very aggressive with the, with the woman in the shelter. And all of a sudden, these women remember her class and remember that don't put a bat in front of anybody that is angry because the individuals will react. So she remembered that and realized that she didn't use the word but, but mentioned that she that there was no room available. So these men got very angry, very upset, and she remembered how to go to empathy, how to communicate and show it on her body language. So all of a sudden, she asked this man, what is it that you need? And this man, you know, got stopped. He was not expecting that question. So all of a sudden, he started telling these women, you know, all that I need is somebody to help me out. Ever since I have, I have been a child, nobody has helped me out. All the time that I have ever needed something, nobody shows up for me. So at the moment that she asked that question, that man showed up for real anger. It was not about the fact that she didn't have a room for him. It was that throughout his life, there were so many needs that have never been met. He felt rejected throughout his life. So being rejected of not having a room there showed up many of his past experiences that he had ever had. So that woman in that shelter realized that there was an in-depth need that he has never been met. So she listened to him closely with empathy and listened to him. And he went on and on and mentioning scenario after scenario and situation after situation in his life that he has never been supported and, and never had an opportunity to have that, that need met. When she allowed that man to vent out, it was easier for him to comprehend that she was there with empathy trying to help him out. But in reality, she didn't have the resources to help him out. Nevertheless, through her nonviolent communication, he, she explained to him that 
she didn't have there what she, she needed, but she could be a resource to find a place for him. So therefore, she pick up the phone and start calling places to find him a space for him to stay the night. And she did. And the outcome of that interaction changed dynamically. Because who, who is to know that this person obviously was intoxicated, who could keep be so violent to, to do something to this woman? So she stopped a conflict. She prevented a conflict. That is how powerful empathy is. This is just one example, but this is how powerful it is. And how is it that if we communicate it through our communication, through our body language, through our heart, it really shows up in such a way that it becomes a tremendous strong tool for us to use, especially in the healthcare industry. Now we're going to talk about dealing with high-conflict personalities. High-conflict personalities is not your typical individual that has a conflict or is upset about something. It's more about the rims of individuals that somehow there is, there is a psychological component to these high-conflicting personalities. It could be either because this indiv the individuals are in medicine, they have had already a psychological evaluation. Um, it could be, uh, you know, either medication, drugs, anything of that nature that alters the individual's personality. And the high conflicting individuals their behavior of conflict is extremely high. And you can see an individual dealing with very high conflict. Everything they see through their eyes and their emotions filters conflict. And there's patterns that it happens over and over and over and over in their lives. Remember that these high conflict personalities can come about because for many, many years their need have never been met. And they have never even questioned what is it that it has been their needs in order to find ways to satisfy it. And it becomes like a domino effect that they become more conflicting and more conflicting personalities. The issue is not a the conflict. Just like the example that I gave before, the issue was not the conflict. The issue is the need that they have never addressed. The issue is that they're not um, attuned to themselves because they have neglected themselves so much not to understand what is it that it's their primary needs. Or sometimes, you know, they're using medication or have psychological issues that do not allow them to go to that space within themselves to get to know themselves deeply and understand what are they, their needs. Therefore, everything is about increasing conflict. Their life around them becomes that. They feel comfortable in that type of environment. Like I was mentioning, the issue 
is not the real issue. The, the, the behaviors of high-conflict individuals is all or nothing. They want to win at all costs. They have very unmanageable emotions. And you can detect that. You can see that. They have strained behaviors. They can be passive-aggressive all the way to showing up very high behaviors of aggression or upsetness. And they're constantly blaming others. They're not willing to put themselves in that space of seeing what is it among themselves that is creating this, the conflict. They're not willing to retrospect about how is it that their emotions, their behaviors, how is it that they become responsible for what they're creating. These individuals, high-conflict individuals, are not in that state. And the reason that I brought about the high-conflict personalities within this empathy presentation is because the empathy can help very easily with individuals that are not very high-conflict. But nevertheless, it works for high-conflict personalities, but in a totally different way by you understanding where they're coming from. These are not going to be individuals that if you become empathic to them, they're going to lower their high expectations in conflict. You have to understand where they're coming from. And it's a, a, a repetitive pattern of behavior that they have. And if you understand the repetitive pattern and you bring empathy into the equation, you can gain a lot with these individuals. The underlying patterns of high-conflict individuals. Like I was mentioning before, it's all about, about blaming other people and not taking responsibility. They don't have the cognitive capability to be able to take action upon what is it that they created. They have so much difficult accepting loss. They have to win at any cost. They're very rigid, and they don't compromise very easily. They just don't. High-conflicted individuals are not individuals where you're going to be sitting with empathy and providing wisdom. You're going to communicate with them a little bit different because they do not accept information, wisdom, or knowledge from anybody else. You have to talk to them in a very empathic way where they're coming up with the ideas and be able to work in such a way that you create like a framework of communication that you don't go elsewhere for that communication. They don't have that ability to reflect in, in their own behavior. They don't have the ability to empathize. Therefore, you have to bring the empathy into the communication. And they're constantly in a negative emotional state. And that emotional state dominates their ability to see things through a negative lens. And they avoid any responsibility about the problem or any solution. So how to deal with these individuals? Well, first of all, you never point out an individual for being high-conflict personality. You know, that's labeling somebody, or that is creating judgment. 
So avoid that at all costs. Use empathy. Use your nonviolent communication. Use your body language and show up to them in that way. But understanding that their personality, it's high conflict, can give you guidance of how to communicate very clearly. Be able to manage your information in such a way that when you're giving the communication, it's so clear that you don't go off your way of explaining it differently. Just being clear, objective. Remember we talked about being objective? Very objective in your communication. That the high conflict personality does not feel that you have emotions and feeling, that you're just being objective and you're putting on the table information that is objective. And focus on the relationship with the person. Not about aiming for the object or aiming for uh, the things that you're relating to in the conflict. It's more about being in touch with the individuals. Remember, these high conflict personalities have had a lot of needs not being met throughout their lives. So relationship, it's very important to them. You've been in relationship to them. But stepping further out so that they don't get you involved with their conflict and their way of seeing things. Remember, empathy, it's about understanding what they're coming from, but in such a way that you understand, but then you, you have the ability to be in an emotional, intelligent state where you can you know, provide advice. But in this case, remember, high conflict personalities do not want advice. They want to come up with a resolution, and you can facilitate that. So you become more of a facilitator in an empathic way with high conflict personalities. And like I said, give clear instructions, focus in maintaining clear, positive, and productive communication. We're coming to the end of the presentations and probably have a few minutes for asking questions and I hopefully have the answers or resources to send you to. So the conclusion, being empathic, give empathy, use nonviolent communication tools, create awareness of high conflicting individuals so that you don't utilize the empathy that I have shown you in the first slides with individuals that are highly conflict personalities. Make sure you have that awareness of how is it that they function and they look for so that you can have different tools to work with them. Don't see people wrong, broken, with problems. When you put yourself in a state of empathy, remember there's no judgment. You know, and all human beings are always having issues in life. You know, that is what is called life. You know, we go through processes, we go to situations. Everybody does, including yourself. So make sure you give empathy at the same time you go to a place where you can get empathy as well in order to recharge yourself. And remember, the most important thing is remembering your values, your mission, that you're here in healthcare industry because you care about people. So practice, practice, practice empathy. Thank you very much. And the following slide, it's information about myself, my experience, my expertise, and if I can ever be of value of service to you or your organization, 
please feel free to give me a call or send me an email. Thank you. So I am available if anybody has questions. Yvette, thank you so much. The presentation was wonderful. We do have a few questions. Uh, what is the difference between an angry person and a high-conflict personality? Yes, um, an angry person, uh, you will uh, definitely identify based on the way they're communicating. If an angry person is talking about needs that immediately they're talking about needs that they haven't been met, you will identify that that person is just angry because something's going on that in their needs hierarchy or their needs least that has not been met. With a high conflicted individual, their communication is going to be more aggressive. Their communication is going to be more about blaming others. The, 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 all the communication is going to be about, it's more about blaming others. And that's when you start distinguishing when is it that somebody is more high conflict than the other one. The other individual, you'll see that they're angry, they're upset, but they're talking about needs that they haven't gotten met, right? High conflict will start with conversations about you, the other person didn't do that, you know, and, and, and they're going to start blaming others. And any moment they're not going to go into in a space where, where they're talking about, you know, what are the needs that they haven't been met. Remember that high conflict individuals are far, far away from even understanding their own personal needs. And sometimes they're so far away because either they have a psychological state, they might be in medications or they might be using um, substance. How would you deal with the high-conflict personality when it's your boss? Wow, that, that is very interesting. Um, first of all, when it is your boss, it's, it's very important that if, you know, it is very high-conflict personality that you understand that the communication that you're going to have with that individual, it's going to be frame it in the way that I was framing it in one of the slides. It's, it's going to be that you understand that they win at no cost. You know, they have to win all the time. They're not going to be taking responsibility. And you have to, as an individual, create clear information and expectations. And don't Get involved in their blaming patterns because when you get involved emotionally in that blaming pattern, you lose yourself from the objective that you want to achieve. Nevertheless, you're going to facilitate the communication instead of providing wisdom, providing guidance because high conflict individuals think that they know it all and they have to come up with the resolution. But at all times, it's bringing about that empathy, that creating communication in a frame where, where you understand that that person, you're going to facilitate that communication, but that person will, will come out with the resolution or the, or the action being taken. 
Thank you. Another question. Do I need to keep an employee who does not have the ability to express empathy? Counseling has not helped because the employee does not take responsibility for their role in the conflict. That's a very good question. Um, when you're sending somebody to do therapy, therapy, it's a, it's a, a, a very distinct uh, ability to look around or, or go about looking at your past and, and, and what happened that, um, that somehow um, they never learn empathy. I think that this individual can be very well helped if, if you work with a coach because coaches work with individuals not only to provide content and skills base but also to work about behavioral transformation. Not all therapists have a skill set in coaching which brings about the behavioral transformation component. And obviously, it's very important for that individual to be willing to go through that process of transformation. Because remember what I was talking about, empathy, it's about recognizing it, how it feels and how it looks outside of you and recognizing it within yourself and be able to relate to that and start practicing. It's, it's a behavior. It's, creating, it's like creating a muscle when you're doing an exercise. Um, I had had clients in the past that, you know, they want to learn how to resolve conflict or they want to learn how to be more empathic and, and they have already gone to therapy and the only thing that they gain out of therapy is scenarios. It's not behavioral transformation. There's no way you can provide a skill set if there's not behavioral transformation in the process and that's why I emphasize practice, practice empathy. See and look how empathy looks on other people. Then go within yourself and try to practice how it would look on you and be clear what is empathy and what is sympathy. Because sometimes people think that empathy is weakness and is not. It is, it is a state of being in, in, in a process when you open up communication with other human beings. I hope that has answered the question. I think it did, and Yvette, thank you again. Uh, I think we're at the top of the hour. Uh, thank you very much for bearing with our slight delay at the beginning. Uh, please use Yvette's contact information on the screen for any additional questions, or if you send us questions, we will forward them on. Your PACOM CU certificate will be emailed automatically to you from PACOM. Please join us again next week for another educational webinar on January 31st at noon. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on MTALA, Legal, Ethical, and Regulatory Issues with the healthcare attorney, Isla Rothschild. You can register for this webinar and also request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at 1sthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. Have a great day. Thank you very much.